As an investor, if you're a fan of active asset management, you're going to love today's program. Hi, I'm Rob West. And even if you prefer a more passive approach to investing, you're still in for quite an education. Sean Morgan joins us today to talk about the fourth source of alpha. Sounds mysterious, doesn't it? Then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Well, we want to welcome Sean Morgan to the program. He's the Director of Education at Eventide Asset Management, an underwriter of Faith and Finance. Sean, great to have you with us. Thankful to be on the show. Well, we're delighted to be able to talk about this. Uh, We're talking about, as you know, the fourth source of alpha today. But first, I think you'd better give us the definition of alpha when it comes to investing and perhaps the first three sources of it. Sure. Uh, So alpha uh, is when an investor makes higher returns than the rest of the market. So uh, if an investor is investing in a lot of stocks and their goal is to beat the returns of the S&P 500, Alpha would refer to the excess returns that they generate above what the S&P 500 generates. There was a paper written over 20 years ago now by an investor named Russell Fuller. And in it, he explained how there are essentially three ways that investors believe that they can beat the market and achieve alpha. And as I explain these to you, they'll make sense. Uh, So you'll probably think of every investment strategy that you've ever heard, and you'll tie it back to one of these three advantages that investors claim that will help them beat the market. Okay. First, there's this camp of investors that believe they have an advantage by having access to superior information. Uh, So this may be in a professional setting where you have analysts sitting at computers and mining company reports and listening to earnings calls. Uh, But sometimes this superior information that investors believe that they have is more grassroots, like uh, the classic example of going to a mall and seeing which stores are packed full of customers and then buying stock in those companies. Sure. So the, the first source of alpha is this. It's access to superior information. And we call these investors fundamental investors. Okay. Now, there's a second source of alpha that Fuller explains. And this source of alpha is when investors might say, hey, uh, we all have access to this same information, but we have an advantage because we have a better model for processing that information. These are the people that you picture with like two giant computer screens looking at patterns and stock charts, and they buy and sell stocks without even knowing the names of the companies that they're buying and selling. Yeah. These are called quantitative investors or, uh, or quants. Now, there's a third source of alpha that Fuller explains, and this is when investors identify the irrational behavioral biases in other investors, and they take advantage of them by investing against the grain. So this is the example mm. of um, being fearful when others are greedy and being greedy when others are fearful. You've probably heard that sure. before. Yeah. Um, so those are the three sources, accessing superior information, uh, processing information better, and then identifying behavioral biases. And generally, that's how investors believe that they can beat the market. Well, Sean, that makes complete sense. But obviously, the folks at Eventide now say there's a fourth source of alpha. So share that with us. All right. So if you think about it, what's interesting about the first three sources that I explained is that they each refer to an advantage investors have in what they do. So they do deeper research or they process or they identify behavioral biases. Now, we believe the fourth source of alpha actually comes as a result of having a proper understanding of how the world works. 
So we come from a biblical worldview, and within this worldview, we believe that everyone is created with intrinsic dignity and worth. And we believe the Bible calls us to love God and love our neighbors in everything we do, which includes business and investing. Yes. So instead of starting with what we do as investors, we actually start with why we invest. We invest to love God and love our neighbors. So then we ask, how does this play itself out in investing? Well, we believe the purpose of a business is to provide something of value to its customers. So we ask, um, like, does the business's product or service contribute to human flourishing? Or yeah. do we believe that it's actually harming people? And we believe it's good business to offer something that legitimately helps people. Now, one step further, we also believe it's good business to care for all the business's neighbors, its customers, its employees, suppliers, host communities, the environment, and society more broadly. So that's how we look and apply our biblical worldview as a fourth source of alpha in how we invest. This is so good. Well, we're going to continue to unpack this around the corner, including some examples of companies that create value for shareholders using this fourth source of alpha. Back with Sean Morgan from Eventide Asset Management, just around the corner. Stick around. It's great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. We're delighted to have you along with us today as we talk about the fourth source of alpha. That is how you invest generally breaks down into these three sources of alpha, accessing superior information or processing information better, or perhaps even identifying behavioral biases. Uh, this is what's going on behind the scenes when someone's investing on your behalf. Well, we're talking today with uh, Sean Morgan. Sean is the director of education at Eventide Asset Management and underwriter of Faith and Finance. And Eventide is a faith-based investing mutual fund. And Sean introduced us to this fourth source of alpha. And Sean, before we dive into some examples, just recap for our listeners that fourth source. So the fourth source we believe is actually asking why we invest in the first place and applying a worldview to it. And so we come from a, a place of having a biblical worldview that believes the purpose of a business is actually to serve people. And so we believe that looking at businesses and how they serve people is actually a good way to examine businesses. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Now, obviously, we need to be able to apply that and see how it really works as you're investing. So perhaps you can share some examples of companies that create value for shareholders and, and maybe some that don't. Sure. Uh, so that's actually a really good question. And I'll give you one good example and one bad example here. Um, so there are plenty of obvious examples of companies that are creating value. So a lot of times we think of uh, biotech companies that are curing rare and orphan diseases. Uh, but I'll actually give you a less obvious example of a company that on the surface seems pretty mundane. Uh, so there's a company that manufactures lab instruments. And if you're in a biotech lab or in food production, you have definitely heard of this company. Uh, they have a reputation like Apple for being high quality and innovative in their space. Now, what's interesting, here's their secret to success. In a business world that is very transactional, like where labs are simply buying their equipment from these different manufacturers, this company has stood out because of their commitment to invest in their employees and serve their customers and create raving fans. Yeah. So they invest heavily in training their employees and they give them iPads 
to help them uh, uh, train their customers. And they, they send them to the sites of their customers to make sure their equipment is working properly and train them on how to use their instruments more effectively. They have the biggest service crew out of any of their competitors. They're the only ones investing to this level into their service crew of employees that go to their uh, customers. Now, while they're on site, they discover future needs of their customers and send those ideas back to the headquarters and they create new solutions that meet the needs of their customers. So their employees feel valued and invested in. These employees often say, and this is a career for me. And yeah. they, feel like they, they feel like they're doing something important because of the way that the company treats them. And this translates into their customers getting excellent service and better, more intuitive products. Hmm. So we ask, like, is this good for business? Absolutely. It's yeah. a, a creating value type model. Now, on the contrary, um, we'll go back a few years. There was a pharma company back in 2010 that determined they were going to grow not by creating value. That's the language they use. They would say that they're creating value for their shareholders, but they were actually extracting value from, from their customers, their employees, and really they extracted value from all of society. What this company would do is they would buy out small drug manufacturers and they would fire the R&D departments. And then without changing anything about the drugs, they would hike the prices to astronomical levels. And this company, again, they would say that they're creating value for their shareholders. And for a while, investors bought into the story and their share price soared for years until 2015 it plummeted like a house of cards because they weren't actually creating value. They were merely extracting value and reallocating it. And they would mm. say, hey, we're creating value, but they, they were just taking it from people and then just giving it to their shareholders. And this happens more than you think. Like, think of a cigarette company whose very product extracts from the health of its customers. Yeah. Or social media companies whose profit model is built on addictive and harmful messages to teens. Once you apply your worldview, and in our case, a worldview that's, that's predicated by the Bible, it really inspires you to want to avoid investing in companies that are merely extracting value and get far more excited about the companies that are successful by truly creating value. Mm. This is so helpful, Sean. So let's then talk about how Eventide uses this. Alpha, of course, is how well investments are outperforming their benchmark or the market. So how does Eventide then use this value creation lens you're talking about to help investors achieve alpha? Because a lot of folks think that to invest with these values in mind, you have to actually give up performance. But you're saying the reality is just the opposite. So... We believe that it's a false dichotomy to pit biblical virtues like kindness, uh, humility, and uh, servant leadership, uh, some of these qualities that we really value. People have started putting these at odds with business success. And it's been interesting to see recently how many business consultants and academics have been circling around and even using the language that Christians have historically used to describe how we should interact with the world. And even people that don't look to the Bible as their source of wisdom are discovering the validity in how we believe God designed the world to work. And they see these things as just good business practices. Whereas 60 years ago, it might have been more common to believe a public company needs to cut its spending on its employees and have cutthroat, ruthless company cultures. 
there's a much bigger emphasis now on how important it is for the success of a business to create a culture that honors the dignity and worth of everyone working there. Now, what's notable is that a lot of investors still don't look at these aspects in companies when they invest. So for us, we believe we have an advantage by seeing the ways that companies treat their customers, employees, suppliers, and other neighbors, and we factor that into how we value a business. And then later, if, I say if, not all the time, but if these things lead to better performance by the company, that's when other investors jump in. So we believe that our source of alpha comes as a result of our worldview and our calling to love God and love our neighbors and how we invest in businesses. Yeah, and you're saying this doesn't have to be a zero-sum game. In fact, uh, you know, one person benefiting doesn't automatically have to lead to someone else losing, right? That's exactly right. It's a grow-the-pie type mentality that when you look at the different neighbors of a business, you say, by making good investments and making sure that each one of those neighbors are benefiting, it actually leads to a more sustainable business model for long-term success than a more myopic focus on short-term results that oftentimes causes businesses to just cut costs at the expense of a lot of their, their stakeholders and their neighbors. So we, we actually believe that a more sustainable way to run a business is simply loving your neighbors. I love it. Well, that ultimately leads to what you all say, and that is investing that makes the world rejoice. Unfortunately, we're out of time today, Sean, but how can folks get more information? So you can go to our website, uh, which is eventideinvestments.com. Awesome. Eventideinvestments.com. And I know you have a great article on the fourth source of alpha on your website. We'll also put a link to that in today's show notes. Sean, thanks for stopping by. Thanks, Rob. That's Sean Morgan, Director of Education at Eventide Asset Management. Again, to learn more, go to eventideinvestments.com. Well, your calls are next. The number 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live. We'll be right back. Opinions offered during this program represent the personal or professional opinions of the participants given for informational purposes only. Any information provided is not intended to replace advice from a financial, medical, legal, or other professional who understands your specific situation. I'm so thankful to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. It's time to take your calls and questions today on anything financial. We've got a few lines open, although the calls are coming in. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Again, that's 800-525-7000. You can call right now. We'd love to help you apply the wisdom from God's Word to your financial decisions and choices. We'll do that here today on the program. Again, 800 525 7,000. You can call right now. Uh, let's dive in. We're going to begin today in Illinois and welcome Amy and Tom. Go ahead. Hi. We just have a question about what will happen with our daughter. Uh, the loans that she's taken out are many and high interest rates. And what will happen if she does not pay these off? 
Yeah, it's a good question, Amy. A lot of folks thinking about this as we uh, move off of the pause that was in place for so many student loan borrowers until September of this year. Uh, Let me ask, Amy, are these federal student loans or private? Private. Private. Okay. Yeah. So with the federal loans, obviously you have the income-based repayment options. So before you would want to let them go into default status, you'd want to explore that. But that's not, unfortunately, available with a private student loan. So uh, once those go into default, which is by definition, uh, as soon as you miss three monthly payments, so that would be after 90 days, uh, then you would um, the lenders would attempt to collect on the debt either directly. Uh, they could hire collection agencies, which is what you will typically see um, to begin to collect on the debt. And if it gets delinquent enough, and depending upon the amount, they could also take you to court and get a judgment against you. Uh, they will, of course, start uh, reporting this to the credit reporting agencies as well uh, as a means of harming your credit, or in this case, her credit. And that would happen again once it goes into the default status, and that's after 90 days. So what do you do? Well, uh, you should perhaps help her or certainly instruct her to um, review her private loan contracts carefully to understand what rights she has if you're concerned about it possibly going into default. If you've not received a letter from your servicer, but you believe that she's in default, then she would want to contact that servicer immediately to discuss repayment options and determine if there's a path forward to avoid default. I realize these interest rates are high. This is problematic for folks, especially young adults that are just starting out. And yet we want to try to keep these out of default status, if at all possible. Does that all make sense? These are not student loans. Oh, my apologies. I I thought they were. So what types of loans are they? I tried to say that, but I, I don't, wasn't getting through. None my apologies. of these are student loans. Okay. What types of loan are they? Do you know? Uh, I don't know. Bills, bills okay. she has run up that she has not been able to pay, and we okay. have helped her. Yeah. Financially, we have not co-signed, but we okay. have helped her, and she's she's frantic now about the amount that she owes yeah. on these loans. Okay. Do you do you think these are credit cards, perhaps, Amy, or not? No. Okay. Did she go to a bank and get a loan, or are these just bills that need to be paid, like medical bills, other types of bills that are past due? I'm just trying to get Probably. to... Medical bills and other bills that are passed due. Got it. Okay. Let's do this. Um, What role are you all playing in this? Has she invited you into seeing all the numbers and helping her work through it? Or would you perhaps rather have a third party that would get involved? We would like to have a third party involved, but she is secretive about where these are from. I see. Okay. Well, let's do this. I'd like to offer a potential solution here. Uh, We have a team of certified Christian financial counselors uh, that we work with. Uh, This would be somebody who's not in her city. They would work together remotely over the phone and and perhaps um, over the the internet by you know webcam, um, and it would be somebody that is trained in biblical finance 
who is specializes in working with folks to help them get on a budget, get out of debt, uh, really help to get on track with their finances when they're in a situation like she finds herself in. And perhaps the anonymity of the relationship, meaning someone that she doesn't know, not somebody that she goes to church with, not the two of you, despite the fact that she loves you guys and wants you to help. It's, you know, sometimes better to talk about, you know, things that are difficult, uh, especially financially, if it's not a family member. And we'd be happy to offer a, a certified Christian financial counselor at no cost. In fact, we'll cover the cost, just as our ministry to you. And I believe that as this person works with her, and it can be a female counselor if she'd prefer, uh, works with her to get all of the, the numbers in place, the starting point is to find out where are we at. What assets does she have today? What liabilities does she have today? And then specifically, you know, naming each of the people she owes money to. Is there any interest rate associated with it? What are the repayment terms? Um, And then also how much is in default or arrears? Getting all of that down and then looking at her budget to see what income does she have versus her expenses And then most importantly, what's left over so that a plan could be established to begin contacting each of these creditors and getting on a repayment plan. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay, very good. So I'm going to ask you and Tom to hold the line. Uh, My producer, Amy, is going to get your information, and then we're going to get you or your daughter, whichever you prefer. We can work through you or not. Uh, connected with a certified Christian financial counselor, again, at no cost. And let's see if we can't help her get on a path to financial strength and, um, you know, be able to handle this money God's way. We appreciate your call today. Stay on the line. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, more of your questions. The number to call, 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West, and we'll be right back. Thanks for joining us today on Faith and Finance Live. We've got a few lines open today, 800-525-7000. Again, that's 800-525-7000 with your financial questions. Hey, before we head back to the phones, we'll be headed to Florida and Indiana and Tennessee. Uh, We do have some lines open, but first, let me just remind you as we head toward year end, and it seems like the end of the year is coming quickly, especially now with Thanksgiving behind us. This is an important season for us to hear from those of you who would be uh, prayerfully interested in supporting this ministry here at Faith and Finance Live. Bringing you this program every day as a listener-supported ministry relies on partners willing to stand with us financially. And this is an important time of year as we head toward our year-end financial goals, and you can help us reach them with a gift of any amount. So if you listen to this program regularly, perhaps you've been blessed by this ministry, uh, a gift of any amount, and we mean that, uh, would go a long way toward helping us meet reach uh, our goal. And here's the fruit of that. You know, as we think about the impact of this ministry, it is about changed lives, people applying God's wisdom and seeing incredible fruit that comes from that. In fact, let's listen to one of those stories now. Because I started listening several years ago, and I was in terrible credit card debt, and I just felt like I was drowning. I couldn't get out, and I was so depressed and so stressed. I heard Rob talk about Christian credit counselors, and I was in the program for three years, and they thought that it was going to take me four and a half years to pay back my 
14 grand in credit card debt. The program was so wonderful and my counselor was so encouraging and I was so motivated by the program and so many of my behaviors changed throughout the process. I became debt-free last month. It completely changed everything about the way I handle money. I just wanted to express how much I appreciate the program and Christian Credit Counselors. We're so thankful for impact like that. God's people seeing life change as a result result of applying His wisdom. And if you'd like to help us see hundreds, if not thousands more of stories just like that take place in the new year, we'd uh, appreciate a gift. You could head to our website, faithfi.com. That's faithfi.com. And just click the Give button. And let me say thanks in advance. All right, we're going to head back to the phones now. Uh, We've got some great questions coming up. Let's go to uh, Windermere, Florida. Hi, Eric. Go ahead. Hello, Mr. Rob West. God bless you, sir. Thank you very much. Um, so I have a question um, in reference to uh, secured credit cards, I want to say, because for a while I had been using, you know, basically paying and buying everything in cash. That's what I was kind of used to. You know, I was kind of taught to stay away from credit cards. But yeah. now, and buying small things, I mean, it is a legitimate way to kind of use that to an advantage to, like, establish a credit, right, using secure credit cards and buying things from stores and things like that, right? Yeah, I think the key here, Eric, is I don't ever want you to pay a dime of interest unnecessarily. So the the only way to use a credit card is for a budgeted item where you pay it off in full at the end of the month. And so whatever that balance is, because you've already, you know, you're only using it for things that you planned on spending money on anyway, the money's available, you write the check, you pay it off, you never pay any interest. But the upside is it's convenient because now you can shop online or, uh, you know, perhaps use that at a store without carrying cash. But the second benefit is every time you make that on-time payment, that credit card company is going to report you to the credit bureau as being an on-time payer. And that's going to keep your credit score up, which is not only going to be helpful if you want to go buy a car someday and you need a loan or buy a house and get a mortgage to get the very best rates and terms, but it's also now used, your credit score is for hiring decisions. It can be used to determine in part your insurance premiums. So there are benefits to having a good credit score. And one of the ways to help boost your credit score is to have some active accounts that are being reported as on time with low balances. And again, the key to that is making sure you only use it for budgeted items. So then if you're disciplined enough to use it in the way I just described, then you've got to decide, okay, which company do I use? And that's where I would rely on either bank rate or nerd wallet. Uh, Those are two of the biggest that are independent and they offer ratings of the various credit card companies. Now, the benefit of a secured credit card is if you don't have a lot of credit because you've just simply not had any accounts in the past and you just have a lack of credit, which can lead to a low score, one of the ways to get approved for a credit card is to use a secured card, where you essentially put a certain amount on deposit, you get a credit limit up to the amount you've deposited. You can charge against that, again, for budgeted items and pay it off. But the credit card company or bank is not taking any risk because if you don't make your payment, they can just take the money that you have on deposit to cover the bill. 
And so not only does it protect them, but it protects you because literally you can't go into debt because you can't charge beyond what you've deposited. But it will still give you the reporting over to the credit bureau of you as an on-time payer every time you make your, your payment. Um, if you look at Nerd Wallet and Bankrate, the two that are the highest rated right now in the secured credit card category are our first, Discover. Uh, it's the Discover Secured Credit Card, um, and it's called the Discover It Secured Credit Card. And then the second um, would be one of the cards from Capital One, probably their Quicksilver Secured Cash Rewards or their Platinum Secured Credit Card. Um all three of those, Discover and then the two from Capital One, would be the most highly rated right now on Bankrate and Nerd Wallet. Uh, does all that make sense? Yes, sir. It definitely does. Okay. All right. Very good. The other benefit to those three that I mentioned is zero annual fee. And I would absolutely look for a card that has no annual fee because, again, as long as you're not paying an annual fee and you don't ever have a balance that extends beyond the closing of the statement, you're never going to pay any interest. And literally, uh, there's going to be no cost to you whatsoever. Thanks for your call today. We appreciate you being on the program. Uh, To Wesley in Indianapolis. Go ahead. Oh, uh, thank you for taking my call. And so my question is, I receive um, ads and direct mail pieces offering um, money if I will open an account at a bank. And these are major banks. Uh, In particular, I received one that said, if, if you open an account and keep it with us for a certain amount of time and it requires a direct deposit, uh, We'll give you $225 into that checking account uh, at the end of that period of time. And I'm just wondering, is it worth my while to either change banks to this bank or add this bank to my, uh, uh, you know, financial situation? Uh, I, I certainly understand that, Wesley. And, and you know, listen, it would be one consideration I would look at. I mean, I don't want to minimize the benefit of getting $225 without doing a whole lot. And yet it is some work. And because you'd have to set up a direct deposit, you'd kind of have to be committed to this. I mean, there is some work involved to you getting with your employer, changing where your deposits go. If you have automatic bill pay set up, you got to move all of that over. I mean, there's enough hassle here that this is not something you're going to want to do perhaps more than once a year at the most. So I would look at that incentive alongside all of the other criteria, any fees, uh, reviews on customer service, the functionality of their website, and then make that decision at one time, not multiple times because of the hassle factor. Thanks for your call today. We'll be right back. Well, it's great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance Live. I'm Rob West. Hey, before we head back to the phones here in our final segment, first, uh, Bob Dahl joins us each Monday with his market analysis and commentary. And Bob, uh, happy week after Thanksgiving to you, sir. Thank you. The same to you. (laughs) Bob, uh, as I was looking... Yeah, exactly. You and me both, buddy. Uh, I was looking over your uh, investment commentary this week, and I can tell you're knee-deep in preparation for your 10 predictions for 2024, huh? No, the truth is I haven't even started. I never is that right? Second week in December, <laughs> okay. but writing this little essay gets me in the mind frame of it's not just what happened last week, 
on what's going to happen this week need to have some bigger picture thinking. Well, let's dive into that bigger picture. And this essay yeah. really looks at the important drivers for both economic and in uh, the investment outlook that you have. So what are some of the big themes as you were diving into this? So, um, you know, uh, very basically, the stock market or any stock is simply the multiplication of the valuation or the P.E. ratio and the earnings. E, P.E. Yeah. times E is the price of the stock. And the same thing for the market. So the question is, where are earnings going? And we've had this conversation before, Rob. The economy is slowing. Even if we don't have a recession, it is really hard to get the arithmetic to work to get to a double-digit earnings growth uh, for 2024. And that's what the consensus thinks. So if we fall short of that, that's just not great news. So yeah. well, maybe PEs are going to go up, the valuation levels and the the same conclusion, P.E. ratio is back with this nice rally we've seen in recent weeks. It's pushing 20, Rob. And, you know, long-term averages are 16-ish. Um, and it doesn't mean stocks have to go down, but it does say there's not a lot of room, either in the E or the P.E., to have significant upside. And therefore, we come to this here to the end of the year. We're just going to bounce around and kind of go nowhere, as we did hmm. today. Uh, yeah, exactly right. So so the thought that some are beginning to, you know, talk about on CNBC and Fox Business and others that, you know, the S&P 500 is, you know, on its way to 5100 next year, driven by, uh, you know, bumper corporate profits. You just don't see it, do you? Yes, I think it's a struggle. I mean, I'm happy to sign the piece of paper that guarantees 5100 next year, <laughs> Rob. But I just, I, I, I just don't, uh, I just don't see it. Um, yeah. yeah, it doesn't mean we have to have big downside in the market, but to get to a 5100, you either back to my simple arithmetic, you better have that double-digit earnings growth and some PE improvement to get from yeah. where we are today to 5100 is more than a 10% increase. Yeah. Uh, and that's, uh, I think, a bit Herculean given the environment we have in front of Yeah, no question about it. Now, you also talked in, in some of your conclusions on this essay about the lag uh, effect of the aggressive move of, move of the Fed funds rate. You know, as so we've gone from zero to five and a quarter in 18 months, and you're saying we haven't fully felt the effect of that yet. What is it going to take? Correct. It takes, what it's going to take is time. The lag between the Fed increases and the impact on the economy is, we use the phrase all the time, long and unpredictable. It's the same thing on the other side. You know, if we do get into economic slowdown slash recession and the Fed starts lowering rates, it doesn't mean the economy is going to take off the next day. It takes months for these things to impact the economy. Uh, and, And that's why we're just a bit more cautious than that uh, double-digit game would suggest, Rob. Yeah, no question about it. Uh, And then, Bob, when we look beyond our borders, and we've talked about several aspects of this, the geopolitical environment is really tricky and quite concerning, isn't it? It is. And again, we've had this conversation before, but, you know, the U.S. is no longer viewed as the leader of the world. Um, Whether you agree with isolationism or nationalism or you think we should be, I'll use the phrase on the other extreme, the policeman of the world, we've definitely retreated from having that impact. And we've got an election coming up, and I think that will be one of the key issues. 
but without our leadership, you know, I, I say the boys in the playground are, 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 are just getting into mischief. And yeah. that's why you get Russia, Ukraine. That's why you get the Middle East. That's why you get consternation about, about China, et cetera. And Bob, that's we, not great news for, for the environment. Well, that's exactly right. And you mentioned China specifically. Uh, you know, how far are we from being, let's say, less dependent, if not independent, from, uh, you know, the semiconductor situation in Taiwan and our dependence on China for rare earth? I mean, are we making meaningful progress with some of our allies to be able to source some of those key rare earths and even pharmaceutical ingredients? We're making slow progress. Definitely making progress, but it is slow. Uh, take semiconductors. You, 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 don't, you, you don't all of a sudden say, oh, poof, there's a new yeah. semiconductor um, manufacturing plant that can take care of what we're getting from China, or should I say yeah. from Taiwan. Not possible. Yeah. This yeah. takes time. And so uh, Taiwan semiconductor is still hugely important. If they were to disappear tomorrow, Rob, uh, the world would be very short of semiconductors, and that would slow the global economy. Yeah, no question about it. Well, we've just gotten a taste of that with Russia, Ukraine, and obviously uh, China, uh, many times larger than Russia in terms of its uh, economy and the potential impact on the world. Well, Bob, we always appreciate your insights. I know we'll have a lot more to talk about as you do dive into and ultimately come out with early next year your 10 predictions. We'll certainly be uh, eagerly waiting for it, my friend. Uh, Thanks for stopping by. You and me both. That means they're done. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Bob, have a great day. Talk in December. Bye-bye. Sounds good. Look forward to it. That's Bob Dolly's Chief Investment Officer at Crossmark Global Investments. You can learn more and sign up for his Dolly's Deliberations, his free weekly investment commentary at CrossmarkGlobal.com. All right, let's head back to the phones. We have, might have room for uh, one question in addition to Doug in Nashville, 800-525-7000. Doug, go right ahead, sir. Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for taking my call. Um, Several years ago, my father had taken out a life insurance policy, and he made me the owner, beneficiary, and executive of that policy. My question is, as he gets older and life changes, does he or anyone else in my family have any um, claim to that policy? Yeah, so your father is still living, correct? Correct. Yeah, so the claim to the policy, um, well, you said he's the owner, uh, or you're the owner in addition to being the beneficiary. And the executor. I'm all Okay, yeah. Yeah, the only issue would be as if the owner, but in this case that's you, were to change the beneficiary, but obviously I imagine you don't have any plans to change uh, that beneficiary designation. Who took out the policy and who pays for it? Uh, He and I took out okay. the policy and he he pays the annual premium we did this okay. so that his and my mother's money would be protected if they were to get older and their uh, mental status was to change which it is um but his name besides being the insured is not on the policy at all Right, but what is the intention? What was the intention behind it in terms of this policy only pays out when he dies? So he's let's say he passes away, the you as the beneficiary would then receive the funds 
and you would receive the full benefit of these funds. Was it then the understanding between you and your dad that these would be used for a specific purpose, or would it just be now, you know, this is your money to do with what you want? To take care of my family. I have my, my sister never had children and she has her own money and uh, to, to distribute and make sure that my family could go forward and, yeah, uh, have some success off of his company that he had owned for forty years. Him and yeah. my mother. My yeah, very good. Passed, so okay. Um, but like I said, his mental status is now changing and declining. So yeah. yeah. Um, well, I mean, it's always that. good to get a legal opinion, but I will tell you, just the way insurance policies work, the owner is who names the beneficiary, and the beneficiary is who receives the money outside of probate, uh, outside of the estate. So that money would pass directly to the beneficiary, which is you, outside of the probate uh, process, which means uh, the estate is not uh, going to have any part in this. This money is going to come directly to you. And at that point, you're the steward to do with it what you want. Great. Great. Thank you so much. All right, Doug, we appreciate your call today, my friend. May the Lord bless you. Uh, let's see, quickly uh, to uh, Gary, Indiana. We're going to finish with Joe. Go ahead, sir. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. Just a quick sure. question for you. I'm a 70, still working full-time, and I was wondering if it would be to my advantage to take advantage of my company's 401k program. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. You're going to get the benefit of the tax deduction as the money goes in, assuming this is a traditional 401k and not a Roth, which means while you're still working, you're arguably you're in a higher tax bracket today in your working life uh, versus what you might be in the future when you're not working. Now, the wild card here is what happens with with tax rates, and they could go higher, which means even though you're getting that current deduction today based on your current tax bracket as a working person, uh, you know, when you're not working in the future, let's say the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act expires and rates go up, and depending on the outcome of the next presidential election, they could go higher. They certainly wouldn't we wouldn't expect them to go any lower than they are now. Uh, you could pull it out and pay tax on it at a higher uh, rate. But regardless, I like the idea of you getting the current deduction now while you're still working. I like the idea of you getting that money in a tax-deferred environment because if you don't need it and your required minimum isn't going to happen for several years, that money is going to be invested and it's going to grow without the impact of the taxes putting a drag on the returns. So I'd say, yeah, as you have resources, continue to fund that and build up those assets that you can tap into down the road when you need them, when you're no longer working and pursuing what God has for you next. Thanks for your call, Joe. We appreciate it. Faith and Finance Live is a partnership between Moody Radio and Faith Fi. Thank you to Anthony, Amy, Dan, and Jim. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.